You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me today after Florida defeats Georgia 44 to 28 is Nick Delator from Gator Country, Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. Guys, if you're a Gator fan, you you partied into the night. You slept so good. The coffee tasted better this morning. Uh, it's been too long for Gator fans with that feeling, myself included with that one. But uh, you, you, the, but the uh, 44-28 beating of Georgia has, uh, has Gator Nation fired up uh, more than ever in quite some time. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's, it's weird because normally after a game, and you, you both can say this, like we – are walking somewhere to go and do interviews and you kind of maybe miss the celebrations, but uh, with 2020, we're kind of just sitting there waiting for a zoom. And I was able to kind of like watch the players celebrate and run around. And then all of a sudden I'm watching Dan. I'm like, this is a big game for Dan. Dan's kind of soaking this in. Next thing I know he's in the stands. (laughs) He he jumped into the stands and and he's celebrating with fans and with his players. So um Certainly, like, hey, I made on on Twitter. I made it a big deal, and I was like, if Florida loses this game, with everything going around and Georgia being hurt, and how good Florida is, then it's a huge indictment on Dan. I would have ripped him. So, after a win like that, I gotta I gotta sit here and say, huge win for Dan, huge win for the program, and go ahead, wear your Darth Vader costume, jump in the stands, do it all. You know, uh, it, it's a big win for the program and, and you can celebrate it as such for sure. Yeah. And, and quite unfortunate that we're sitting here kind of in a pandemic because any other year, Dan Mullen really can let loose. I, I guess he did. Those locker room videos certainly that have come out today are, have been pretty funny, but you knew how much this game meant to him. Uh, the questions year round are, when are you going to beat Georgia? How close are you to Georgia? So much so that I think you could say you even saw it coming out in his answers last year. Just that, oh, we're this many points away from Georgia. Because it has to be frustrating, I can imagine, as a head coach to have everybody say, oh, you're you're not as good as a guy like Kirby Smart just because of the product on the field and, and where those programs have been, how far away they have been away from each other since Dan Mullen got here. Well, well that gap has finally been closed. And I think you can definitively say that Florida has the better overall team right now. They, they knew they had the better coach. And now they've closed the talent gap and put all those questions aside about whether they can win that game in Jacksonville. Uh, it has to be refreshing if you're a Florida fan because all the stock leading up to this is can they do it? So absolutely, you have to soak it in. Right. I mean, preseason, you go, go, go back to college football preseason magazines, you go to all the preseason coverage, and so many people were finally starting to believe in Florida. You have Florida being that trendy pick for a college football playoff spot. And, hey, look, it all boiled down to because finally people were believing that Florida was better than Georgia, but you still had to go prove it. And then the week of the game comes, and, hey, Georgia's got some players banged up. 
you know how good Kyle Trask is. Georgia's got a quarterback problem right now. We don't we don't know the, the status of uh, of how well those quarterbacks are going to play. Those storylines played out there. You saw a desperate, in, in a good way, you saw a desperate Florida team who just had to go win this game just to get the outside noise of can you go beat Georgia uh, away from the program. They did that. You had the better quarterback. You went and proved that. You had the better coach yesterday. You went and proved that. And all, all that came together for, you know, a you know, probably not even as close as the score indicated, 44-28 uh, victory. Yeah, I mean, probably getting a little sketchy there uh, when it's a 13-point game and and, uh, and and Kyle Trask starts throwing to the guys in red. Uh, <laughs> it gets a little weird there. But for me, it's – it's and I understand why people, like, um, tune into recruiting more. And I'm sure George is already, you know, but they're probably saying, put Carson Beck in. The season's over. What's going on in recruiting? You know, if your team's not winning a national championship, you start turning your attention um, to other things. And only one team wins a national championship. Um, but for all the recruiting championships Georgia has won, um, like what is going on with that quarterback room? And I understand Justin Fields and pick the wrong kid there, let the wrong kid transfer there. Um, but I'm watching Georgia and what they have at quarterback, and I'm thinking, how? How is this even a possibility? Um, and, and, yeah, certainly the thing we've been saying for a couple of years has been the talent gap is just wide. And, and that it's, you know, Florida's going to have a trouble beating Georgia for a little bit because the talent gap is wide. Yeah, well, that's gone. And, and say what you want about Dan Mullen and his staff and their recruiting, you know, the, there was no talent gap on the field. If there was a talent gap, it was in Florida's favor yesterday. Yeah, get close enough in those recruiting rankings if you want to go by that. Get close enough, go find yourself a quarterback, and that's kind of how it played out yesterday. You got your – I mean, the most important position on the field, and it wasn't even close. And, Graham, kind of going to Nick's point there. You mean punter? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, going to go, going to Nick's point there before we dive into the episode, hey, they don't, they don't print T-shirts for uh, recruiting national championships. Yeah, and some people have kind of – given Dan Mullen some flack in the last few classes for coming out there and, and you can call it coach speak, but say, well, you know, I like how we hit on our key positions. And when people analyze this Florida roster, there really weren't many gaps, many drop-offs. I, I think one of the few fair ones is the defensive tackle position. What happened there with South and Sari and only landed one, two guys after that, having to get Adam Schuler and Tyree Campbell to transfer into the program I definitely think that many people fairly criticized the lack of defensive tackle depth, but Dan Mullen has always said, Hey, I like how deep we are at every position. And that proved to be the case against Georgia offensive line, uh, certainly quarterback, uh, you know, developing Kyle Trask. I don't think many people a year ago thought that he was going to be a Heisman contender, but certainly Florida has done a much better job at developing. I think at every single position, except for that defensive tackle position. And, and that showed on Saturday against Georgia. Yeah, they, they don't give you awards for recruiting rankings, and I think you saw why on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely there. So we'll dive straight into the game but after this. But remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Plenty, plenty, plenty of coverage uh, here in Jacksonville of uh, Florida's defeat of Georgia Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. If you're watching live right now, hit that like button. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Subscribe while you're here as well. 
Or if you just want the audio version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform on the go and follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, guys, we get into it. And as we break down this game uh, a bit, Florida got kicked in the teeth <laughs> early on. 75-yard touchdown run by Zamir White to start the game. You know, first play, uh, first, first play of the game from scrimmage, it's already 7-0 Georgia. Then the Gators get the ball. Go three and out. Georgia puts uh, puts together a six-play, 61-yard drive, takes a 14-0 lead. All week, I, I stress the importance of getting out to a fast start for a change uh, in this game because Florida has went down 10-0 the last two years to, to Kirby Smart and Georgia. But you know, I also said at the same time, Florida has a style of offense where you know if they do get down a bit, the game plan is not going to change. You, you know you know what you're, you're going to do. They had a great week of practice. They were really focused in practice. Just go play your game. But either way, it was probably hard for some fans not to think, uh, oh, here we go again. Yeah, certainly. Well, <laughs> you know, let me let me say something real quick. You know, I was at first worried. I don't know how it seemed to you, Nick, but I was at first worried that it was a lot of the talk of uh, not so much a carryover of last week's defensive performance, but a way that Florida finished the game against Missouri, where those last two drives, you did see the Tigers move the ball, pick up 75-plus yards of offense. It looked like maybe – Florida was kind of stuck back there again, but then you take those first two drives out of that Georgia game where they had 136 yards, the 75 yard run, and then string together that other drive, Florida only allows 100 and, and I think 44 yards the rest of the game. So it was absolutely, I think a, a very dominant defensive performance that was a little bit skewed unfavorably because of those first two drives. But what I kept thinking about was people don't do that for the Missouri performance. They were able to take out those last two drives out of there and realize the circumstances. I, I think you should do the same thing with this Georgia game. You take out those first two drives. This is a dominant defensive performance. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, there was a miscommunication. You got lined up a little bit wrong on the first play. That's going to happen even, uh, <laughs> and, you know, at the professional level. Yeah, it's Nick, just like I, sometimes. And, and I think Georgia saw something there too, because you saw that big mm-hmm. shift on the, yeah. uh, on the, on the first play to, to open that up. Sometimes you get lined up wrong and it results in a first down. Sometimes you get lined up wrong and it results in a 75 yard touchdown. The very first play of the game that makes people want to kill themselves. That's that's uh, that it just happened in a different way, but Florida's defense really, you know, starting from the Missouri game, um, I, I think is, you know, our question was, is, is Missouri bad or, you know, is, is this Florida taking a step and, and turning the corner and then look what they did against Georgia. Um, on third down, Georgia was two of 13, one of three on fourth down. So three of 16 on those crucial money downs like that to me is, OK, this is further proof that it wasn't just Missouri's bad. It was Florida's defense is starting to uh, starting to turn the corner. There's, this is probably, you know, averaging more towards, you know, or getting back towards the average of what they should be. Um, I will say, listen, I'm not here to, you know, rain on the parade today. If Georgia has a competent quarterback, there's some plays where Georgia receivers are running free and, and, and the quarterback's just not hitting them. So it wasn't a perfect game. I think Florida's defense is playing better. Not a perfect game, though. And, and, but like Those are passes. We're getting to the point now where we're, I'm looking at least towards Alabama, and I'm like, Matt Jones hits those throws, and, and it might be a different game um, if, 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 you know, if Jake Fromm is Georgia's quarterback and, and making some of those throws that I'm seeing. Um, you know, when guys are running wide open. 
Yeah, we'll get into uh, to, to more of the defense as well. I, I got some thoughts uh, on all that, Nick, you just brought up there. Uh, but after that fast start for Georgia, well, it was on for the Gators offense uh, after that. Florida were going to outscore Georgia 44-14 to the rest of the way. The next eight drives, Florida goes touchdown, touchdown, the pick six, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, field goal. I mean, the, the offense just started ramping up. Kyle Trask was dealing. Gators absolutely dominated the second quarter of the game. Trask started the game 0 for 3, and then at one point uh, was 28 of 32 to finish the game 30 of 43, 474 yards, a record versus Georgia for a Gator quarterback, and four touchdowns and the one interception that resulted in a pick six. Um, not really his fault there, but he got away with one later in the game that was his fault. So <laughs> those evened out a bit. So, uh, the, the, but look, the best part came in that the dominating, um, you know, second quarter performance by the entire team. The Gators outscored Georgia 24 to 7. That 7 was the pick 6 for for Georgia. 253 yards in the second quarter for the Gators, only 25 for Georgia. You know, after that great run to, to start the game, the Bulldogs had zero yards rushing in the second quarter on four attempts. Florida and Trask had 229 yards passing in the second quarter, 12 first downs, 25 plays. 10 minutes and 41 seconds time of possession there in the second quarter. Complete domination and where you could really see Florida was the better team. Once you got to the second quarter, you pretty you felt pretty confident that Florida was going to go on to win the game. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, Florida fans can certainly speak to this as well, but, but quarterback in these games where – there's so narrow of a margin between every single position quarterback absolutely can be the difference. It is just sometimes that simple, you know, not to knock Trey on Harris. I know he went out there and, and won a game by 18 points, but it was because the other quarterback was even worse at, at throwing the football. That's just kind of the truth of the matter. You also take out that 75 yard rush. I thought that Florida was pretty good against the run. This is a team that came in ranked fifth, I think in the SEC in rushing yards and you take out that 75 yard or Florida held them to what 90 yards on 28 mm-hmm. attempts. I mean, that's a 3.2 yard average. That's, that's very good. All things considered. I know that Florida's uh, rushing attack isn't really one of the best that let's call it how it is in the conference even, but I, I think that they did a better job establishing the run. Um, if you take out the, those negative rushes by Trask and Tony, and I know it's not really, totally fair because we got to do it for Georgia as well. But I, I thought overall that Florida stepped up in that aspect. So it wasn't more than just the quarterback on Saturday. And Nick, with the run game to, to extend Graham's thoughts there, I mean, you did it with an offensive line that was kind of getting banged up through the game as well. I don't know what, I don't know what's up with the Jags field. Oh, the players were dropping, <laughs> dropping like flies in that game. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's much easier. Oh man, let's put my coffee. It's much easier to, point out when the offensive line's not doing its job because that's when, you know, plays are getting tackles for loss, sacks. Um, you know, it, it's just easy. I think Stuart Reese on the flip side played probably his best game mm-hmm. um, that he has in orange and blue. There was, uh, and one, we, there was one pool he had. He just <laughs> completely pancaked. <laughs> and that's something, that I, that's something I've harped on for like so many years where Florida's offensive line, like there's just no sense of urgency when they pull. Um, and I finally saw that. I think Stuart Reese played a really good game. And then when he got hurt, I think Josh Braun. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about the future and talking about recruiting and uh, Florida Georgia recruiting battles. I think Josh Braun's a guy that um, that looks great for Florida's future. Um, I, yeah, 
credit credit for his offensive line, and, and maybe because we didn't see him too much, and, and that's when we need to give him the most credit. Uh, I'll be the first to say it. We we bag on them a lot, but uh, yeah. they deserve credit. They deserve credit yesterday uh, for the way they played, and um, yeah, just I, I was surprised. I was surprised that Florida, you know, they didn't run the ball great, but they run the ball as much as they need to, so that teams can't just sell out against the pass. And it needed to be efficient. Like I said all week, with what Georgia was missing on their defensive front, you at least had to have timely running. You at least needed to run on first down, three, four yards, you know, keep the chains moving, keep it second and short, third and short. Or if it's third and short, and heck, we saw time at times in rewatching the game, you know, third and four is usually a passing down for Florida. Florida ran the ball on third and four and went and picked up a first down. So it was some you could credit again to the offensive line there because, you know, many times these running backs have been getting hit in the backfield and then creating their own yards afterwards, there was actually some push there for, from, from the Florida offensive line. And Nick and, and Graham kind of going back to the recruiting part of it, and I didn't really necessarily, you know, put it together and just kind of taking the notes here, but Florida did all that with their two best weapons being off the field or very limited uh, in, in this game. Pitts had his plays, of course, two great catches, uh, for for him, one of those was a touchdown while getting interfered with, uh, but was put out of the game by a safety uh, Georgia safety Lewis Seen from from uh, Georgia there, and you know he um, ejected for for, for targeting uh, in that game. So Pitts was out the rest of the game after that. Georgia did a great job limiting Tony and not letting him go crazy like he has uh, all year. And Tony reverted back to some of his old school habits there as well. But guys, we were told before the season that Florida had no weapons. And then it shifted to Florida has no weapons besides Pitts and Tony. Well, all Florida did was run 80 plays. Eight different players had receptions. Six different players had rushes. Kamori Gamble catches a touchdown pass in place of Pitts. Javon Grimes goes up and mosses the Georgia defensive back. Justin Shorter grabs another touchdown for in his, in, his, in the consecutive games. Uh, perhaps you know the biggest out coaching moment in this game through preparation was the wheel route out <laughs> of the backfield. We saw it time and time and time and time again. And you know, the running backs contributing there, uh, 100 yards from Malik Davis, 71 for Naquan Wright, 41 for Damian Pierce, you know, 212 yards on 10 catches for the running backs. Huge contribution from those guys. And look, Mullen knew Kirby would scheme to take out pits, you know, not take him out in that way, but you know, get, get limit pits, limit Tony. It didn't matter. Mullen got the best of Kirby yesterday, and you know that was the biggest example of going out there and players that you didn't necessarily know would step up go out there and step up and make a difference. Yeah, Kirby yeah, you know, Smart. You got to mention Greg, Malik Greg. Davis again, real quick. I mean, Malik Davis has gotten so many uh, things not go his way. Whether it was the injury at South Carolina, the the multiple costly fumbles where he didn't really even get a chance to bounce back. I mean, the previous one, unfairly, he was credited for the loss at Texas A and M by some people out there and then he didn't get a chance to immediately bounce back from it and then comes out here and has this 100 yard receiving game uh catches all the passes he's targeted on uh shows an ability to establish himself as a runner it was great in pass protection even i mean that was just a complete game from him in all aspects and hey graham to to extend your thought there too with about four minutes left in the game he's the running back out there yeah i mean that's the guy who wanted to be out there nonstop, and so many people make the argument of, oh, well, why is, why is so-and-so out there this late in the game, especially if they, they have, you know, a history of injuries? That's what Malik Davis wants to do. This is a team that has, in their mind, had so many weapons come into that running back room that have taken away opportunities from guys 
that had early opportunities like Malik Davis, who as a freshman was eating and now has had to kind of wait in the wings to earn that back. He doesn't know when it's going to be his last chance on the field. You never know when the worst case scenario can happen. So that's someone who's going to maximize every opportunity. And you're really seeing that. And, and obviously Naquan Wright as well. This was someone who I don't think was any, really on anyone's radar outside of the program before the first week of the season and now has, is doing everything, um, running hard. Uh, I, I thought he was great on the wheel route as well. You know, you got to give Florida a whole lot of credit because people have, you know, it brings me back to recruiting. People have praised Georgia, landing that number one running back, being in it for even Trey Sanders there, being a wild card. And I think too many people have focused on that rather than the fact that Florida has developed running backs and has a full stable contributing so much so that, that the one five star in there, not to kind of make things awkward in Lorenzo Lingard, isn't really seeing the field over the rest of those guys. So it's just one of those perception things you kind of always want people to remember when they obsess over these recruiting rankings before kids even sniff campus. Yeah. It, Kyle Pitts and, and Kadarius Tony, uh, I tweeted this earlier. They create simply by existing mm. when they're on the field. Um, I, I watched one of the, the wheel routes um, and, and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, well, why are the linebackers just in no man's land? And I look over and, Canarius Tony ran what looked the beginning of the route looked like it was going to be a crossing route, and then the linebackers just had to sit there because they just had to respect that. Like if Canarius, if I drop back three more yards and Canarius Tony catches a ball with three yards of space between me and him, I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to end up with my ankles broken on the ground, looking at the back of his jersey. So what does that do? That that means two linebackers are now pulled in in the middle of nowhere. They're they're covering nobody. They're just waiting. For Kadarius Tony to come, he never shows up on that side of the field. You get a running back one-on-one with a real wheel route. Malik Davis catches the ball, I think, for like a 30-yard gain. Um, Kyle Pitts is constantly – they're shifting entire defenses over to to bracket him. And, and now you're having to ask, and it goes to what you said earlier, Dave, is that Florida doesn't have any weapons. Well, they only have Kyle Pitts. And then teams started focusing on Kyle Pitts. Now Kadarius is in a one-on-one matchup, and he goes crazy. And now it's, well, they only have weapons that are, you know, only could Canarius and Kyle Pitts. And it's, okay, well, now we're going to have a bunch of guys on the field in one-on-one matchups, and we'll show you that we have more weapons than just those two guys. And I think what you're seeing is those guys just stepping up into the box and stepping up to the plate and taking advantage of those opportunities that they're getting. But don't, for a second, <laughs> forget that they're getting those opportunities because of how good – Pitts and Tony have been that even when the play is not designed for them, they are creating plays when the play is not even, you know, going their way. Yeah, guys, we talked about the uh, kind of continue here of, of what this offense was able to do uh, in the first half there. Two responses. I and mean, this, this, this kind of let me know, you know, the Gators were the better team on the field. You know, we discussed being down 14 to nothing already, but Florida went down again, 21-14 after a pick six. And you thought Georgia may have some momentum again. Well, all Florida did was go 75 yards in two plays at the very next drive with Naquan Wright going 50 yards, pitch for 25-yard touchdown. It was at that point I knew Mullen was in his bag and had Kirby where he wanted him. As long as Florida just didn't mess up, as long as the turnovers didn't start going crazy or anything like that. If the game played out kind of like it was starting to play out at that moment right there, you knew Florida was in good shape. Yeah, that, that is definitely when, when I kind of felt like, okay, they have every single answer in a sense to, to what 
Georgia is trying to do. And yeah, you mentioned the 21-14. Honestly, I even kind of forget about that because it, it wasn't really that big of a hit in the mouth. I was more kind of stunned. I mean, you got to give Stokes a whole lot of credit for that, but I was more stunned um, that Florida answered back. You know, they had, that'd be a drive where a less experienced coaching staff would panic or try and feed their best player. I mean, no one is dialing up a wheel route to to the, the backup, third string running back, whatever you want to call him, to pick up 50 yards there on the next drive. And that's where Dan Mullen is playing chess and, and Kirby Smart is, still playing checkers in a sense nick man just uh, we had a wrong with checkers <laughs> yeah. nice game nice board game um kyle trask i mean we've kind of beat around the bush here talking about kind of overall offense and, and kind of what they've done i mean this was the moment everybody was waiting for you know not just the game itself can florida beat georgia is this uh you know leading up to this game all week going back and looking at alabama and georgia it was hey can the can the offense take? Can can the offense do it again? Can an offensive team beat a defensive team? And yeah, look, I know Georgia was was missing some players and missed more, uh, even more during the game there. But Trash performance. I mean, look at the stats. Uh, I'm sorry, maybe the stats aren't quite as high if Georgia's full strength, but there was no stopping that. There was no stopping that Texas kid yesterday. He 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 was on the mark. He was on fire. He was ready to go. I swear, if COVID doesn't let me go to New York. <laughs> and watch and be a part of a Heisman Trophy ceremony. I'm done. I'll be. I'll be completely done. I think um, they've already said it's virtual. I I, I will be there. I, let, I'll set up. <laughs> let me set up. Let me set up the laptop. <laughs> let me do that. Um, Nick Nick and Times yeah. Square. Yeah, I think I, I'm covering covering it. I'm holding my laptop in Times Square. I'm here, guys. Um, I I think. It was when you talk about the Heisman, and, and listen, you can't mention the Heisman without talking about Kyle Trask. He's put himself into that, um, into that stratosphere, into that conversation. It was the um, moment. It was have, the moment we were waiting on. Yeah, you you need you need to be on a winning team. You need to be putting up stats, and you need moments. And I don't think there was necessarily one moment. Like mm-hmm. you, you can go to and say, "Hey, this is the moment where um, you know RG three why he won the Heisman. Here's Johnny Manziel's moment. Here's Tim Tebow's moment. I don't think it was a moment, but that is a game that you point to when you look and you say, hey, he went up against the best defense at the time in the SEC, the third best passing defense. And what did he do? He broke records. Um, So there might not be one play that you point to, but you point to that whole game. And his performance and what Florida did by winning that game is now you're going to play in bigger games and, and more chances. But you can't say enough. And like you said, there was nothing that was going to stop Kyle Trask um, um, on Saturday. And even the pick six wasn't really his fault. Um, he saw that Florida didn't substitute. Georgia was trying to sub guys onto the field. So it was just, hey, let's let's see if we can take advantage of this real quick and pick up a first down. I think Xavier Henderson ran the wrong route and ran his um, cornerback into Kadarius Toney, where, where Kyle was trying to go with, uh, with the pass there. Um, I don't. I'm not going to get tired of talking about like Kyle Trask's story. It's a it's a ridiculous story from you know his his sophomore year of high school to to where we are now. Um, I don't think it'll get old. Uh, and and we've been talking about it now for you know a year and a half uh, extensively. So it's really really just uh, it's fun to see what he's doing. It's fun to see his progression. And to me, the biggest thing continues to be um, 
I would not have been ready. If I were Kyle Trask, I would not have been ready at the end of that Kentucky game. I would have been, mm-hmm. you know, the the character in Friday Night Lights that's drinking beer and not worried about not worried about playing because I'm the backup quarterback. I'm everyone's favorite player on the team. Backup quarterback is always the most popular. Um, but he went to work every day for four years with very little opportunity to get in on Saturdays and still Monday through Friday prepared to be the starter, even though he knew he wasn't going to be. And it's showing, it's showing right now. And I think we're seeing, I guess the only question I had about him, it wasn't talent coming into this, into this season. It was, can you be a leader? And, and going back and watching the game, you know, after the, um, the hit on, on, Kyle Pitts, the targeting, I think he's in there in the mix, making sure that they didn't have a fight. Um, And I think I've seen more leadership from Kyle Trask, which is probably the only question mark you had about him coming into this season. Graham, we can kind of continue the uh, the Trask talk and maybe the offense talk too before we uh, shift to defense before we get into some tweets. Uh, Second half comes around, you know, played okay. You know, couldn't really consistently move the ball. I know – it kind of follows a trend that we've seen from Florida so far this year. You go through the Ole Miss game, you go through the South Carolina game, you go through the A&M game, and the, and the offenses aren't continuing to put up the yards and put up the points that they did in the first half of the game. I think you can contribute two things. I did think Florida probably got a little conservative in their minds, maybe a little bit of play calling there as well. Georgia making adjustments, are, of course, for one thing. Kirby Smart still a really good defensive coach. You get into halftime, and, and they made some adjustments, especially to the wheel route. Uh, for, for 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 that play once they got into halftime there so that was uh, a if you're gonna if you're gonna hammer the offense at all it's gonna really just come in the in the second half of the game yeah I, I think that's totally fair although I, I do think that kind of borders on yep. nitpicking in a sense I, I think that how Florida it's kind of I hate to bring it back it's kind of similar in my mind to how those last two drives against Missouri played out you, you look at who was in the game for Florida. Uh, you, you see Naquan Wright involved. You see Kamori Gamble. You got to give him a whole lot of credit. We actually got him um, after the game, had a chance to talk to him. That was his first career touchdown. That kind of shocked me because all this talk about Kyle Pitts and even Keon Zipper, you know, got to give him credit for getting in the game as well. You know, it, it's easy to forget that Florida has two guys who former four-star tight ends that when they got here, there were very high expectations for them. And I, I'm sure that Kamori had um, – different visions for how he thought his UF career would play out, but seeing him get in the end zone and it was in front of his mom, no less, who uh, is apparently scared of making the trip over that Jacksonville bridge. So she had never been to Jacksonville before and she got to see him get his first touchdown. So got to give him a whole lot of credit. He actually caught one of the line for everybody last night. Right. You know, Florida had what, 10 different guys catch passes. And I know that there's someone out there today. I don't really need to, to, to bring it all up. Who's upset that they didn't catch a pass and, and understandable um, certainly, but this is, this is something that's going to happen. This is a unit that we've become accustomed to seeing a season leading receiver, just have 40, 45 receptions at a time. There are going to be guys who don't eat. And there are a lot of guys right now who are not look at Xavier Henderson just had one target. And that's a guy I'm sure had much higher expectations for himself and, and yeah, they're trying to get him involved, but this is a, a team that I think is much deeper than they've been given credit for. And it's easy to forget about guys like Kamori Gamble um, and the others out there, um, except when they make a big play and keep contributing like they did on Saturday. But that point aside, I, I do think if you're Dan Mullen, you are slightly worried about the way that Georgia 
if they made those changes that made Florida's offense slow down, you have to get back in the film room and, and figure out how you can then, like I said, play chess and be one step ahead in a sense, because there are absolutely teams left on your schedule who are good defensive teams. I know that Tennessee is far and away not what we expected them to be this year, but you look at that Arkansas offense, if Florida does not beat teams with their offense the way that we've seen, if Kyle Trask suddenly doesn't throw four touchdown passes in a game, there's going to be times when a second half, like we just saw, will hurt the Gators. Fortunately for them, it has not yet, but unless they make a few changes, there are going to be teams that find ways to expose them based on that second half. And here we go. Credit to this defense uh, as well um, for all the talk of, you know, the first few games of the season and, and not living up to uh, the Gator standard and, and Gators fans' expectations of what they expect for a Gator defense. And, look, I, I know, and we've brought it up a couple times here, I know many people want to po- focus on those big passes that Georgia should have, could have, would have had. But, you know, that was the biggest difference on the field. F- Florida was not worried about a Georgia quarterback. I don't think Todd Grantham was necessarily worried about a Georgia quarterback. I don't think the Florida players were necessarily worried about a Georgia quarterback, no matter who it was uh, that was out there. It was about stopping the run. And and that doesn't excuse getting beat a few times, but the the focus was stopping the run. And Florida did that after the 75 yard uh, touchdown run to open the game. The Gators defense held Georgia to 90 yards rushing the rest of the game. Georgia had 277 total yards for the game. Third down has killed Florida in this game the last couple of years. You guys brought it up earlier. How about two of 13 for Georgia this game? Georgia averaged 8.4 yards to go on third down and gained only five yards on average. And I stressed it this week that third and short would be Georgia's best friend, and they got nowhere near close to it, and you saw the effect there. Three sacks, seven quarterback hurries, all contributed to three turnovers. Florida got biggest game of the year. Was the best time to turn up turnovers? Florida did it. So, you know, and look, when, when, right. when Tadaro Slayton leads your team in tackles, that's a good sign. When your defensive tackle is that they're making and leading the team in tackles is a really good sign that the defensive line is in control of the game. He had five. Kyrie Campbell with only two, but you go back and watch the game. You saw the presence once again that he had. He's not going to put up a ton of stats. We knew that coming in, but we knew the importance of the, the, the aggressiveness that he plays with and makes everybody else around him better. Britton Crocs was in the backfield, rushed the quarterback well. I mean, look, I, I know we can be nitpicky with the defense a bit too and say, you know, they probably should have given up in a couple big passes, but Georgia was only winning this game if they could run the ball. They only got one play to get a defense, shut them out the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, look at the – also, look at the difference Zach Carter makes. Zach Carter comes in – Oh, yeah, uh, two plays right immediately, away. <laughs> immediately gets two quarterback hurries. But it's also the thing that we talked about for – all season with Kyrie Campbell out, you had to kind of play guys in different spots. And, and, and with Zach Carter out, you kind of had to slide um, Cox back over to where Carter would play. And then you've got Moon at Buck. And you, you, I think you just saw again, like, okay, well, Florida's defense has kind of figured out how to play, um, you know, with guys out of position because they've, they've had to. But once they came back and, and you're playing at full strength or close to it again, um, different ball game. And we can we can nitpick and hey, that's nice. We're not talking about like wholesale changes. Now we're just kind of you know like nitpicking things. Um, and, and we can nitpick the offense too because I, I didn't love. I, I thought maybe they sat on a lead a little bit there in the mm-hmm. second half. And you know at, at halftime, I'm thinking is Florida going to score seventy on Georgia in, in the cocktail party? Like what is going on right now? Uh, and then you kind of just sat on it a little bit. So that was frustrating, uh, at, at least for me. If we're going to you know start nitpicking some stuff like that. 
But yeah, there's not much to be upset about. And sure, you know, I've already said it, you know, if Georgia has just competency at quarterback, is, is the final score different? Maybe, who knows? That's, you know, you don't, you don't go back and replay the game. It's, it's over. Um, but yeah, there's certainly things to clean up. And, and, you know, even an undefeated LSU last year would probably, you know, you look at some games and say, ah, you, you're going to have to clean that up, you know, for the, for the next game. But there's a quarterback coming in, coming in this week that, that mm-hmm. will hit some deep passes on you. So, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, we, when we're talking about the secondary. You know, that's uh, something that you want to see cleaned up before Saturday at seven. Graham, it's Graham, it's, it's a lot better, man, when you can say, hey, we, we got to clean this up. And you're, you, you can say you got to clean it up after a big win, the biggest win yeah. of the season. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because what you don't want to do is have to, you know, restart your preparation uh, during that week because there's so much time that you can only devote to the other opponent. So many, so much of your practice needs to be in how can we get better? How can we improve? And if you have to make monumental changes, that's just going to slow down how much you can actually do in the week leading up. And, and I think we all know that Florida hasn't necessarily had as much practice time in the recent weeks as they would like. You know, let me first say this. It's a little bit of a shame that if Felipe Franks comes in here and beats Florida, that the stands aren't going to be filled for him to shush them once again. I got to <laughs> say that, and maybe that's a little bit controversial, but you have to just love what he's doing at Arkansas. I, I think there were so many people that after that injury wrote him off and said, Hey, this guy, maybe you should go play for the Boston Red Sox. You know, they joked about him getting drafted, which Nick, you understand how good of an athlete Felipe Franks actually is. And so I'm sure you're not surprised at what he's doing this, but even back in spring before the pandemic, the talk was that he wasn't even going to be available to participate. So this is a guy who looks far and away improved. Like he hasn't missed a beat. Nick, you mentioned Kyle Trask's story. You know, I'm loving this Felipe Frank's resurgence reunion tour, whatever you want to call it. And if he somehow comes in here on Saturday and, and beats Florida, it looks like the better quarterback over Kyle Trask, you know, I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked, but it would be such a great story. He, he will not look like the better quarterback in Kyle Trask. Cause Kyle Trask is a better quarterback in Florida. He is a better quarterback and going up against a worse defense. That's totally fair. You know, I gotta. I have to actually ask you. You're talking about shushing Florida fans. No, no, don't spin it, Nick. I actually have to ask you a question here <laughs> about the fourth quarter because this is something that I thought about a little bit more. Choosing to go for it on fourth down when you're up what 13 points. Normally, I would have no problem with that whatsoever. But your all-time leading U.S. field goal kicker just missed a 44-yarder. And you have a chance to make it a 16-point lead if you bring him back out there to kick it again. Restore his confidence. And, you know, I'm not great at math here, but a 16-point lead makes it so, you know, two touchdowns, best-case scenario, you're tied. You're still three possessions away, in a sense, from losing that game. I was really kind of disagreeing with the decision to go for it and, and, you know, target shorter there rather than kicking that field goal, make it a 16-point game. But it, when I expressed it on social media, some people were like, oh, you're wrong, not even close, but you're the field goal guy. What did you think about that? 
Those are uh, I'm not the field guy. I'm the punting guy. But yeah, no, those, those are, are all special guys. You're the special team guy. Everyone yelling on you. Those I've I created at least 50 Twitter accounts specifically just to yell at you and your bad takes on Twitter. <laughs> that was just me. I don't know if anyone else did. Ren, so you're the guy that had the nick and a bunch Ren. of numbers. That's okay. me. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. Me. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I, I do agree with you. You can make it a, a you know it's going to be a two possession game no matter what, but. One of the two possessions is having to score two touchdowns and convert two two point conversions. I, I get that, but you can also just end it there. You can you can put the game out of reach. If we if we convert and score, game's over. And I think that was Dan Mullen's mindset: convert on fourth, score a touchdown, game's over. End it right now. Also, how how long have we been talking um, on this show about how good the defense has been? It's okay. We'll turn the ball over and our defense are going to stop. So I see both sides um, kicking a field goal. Probably it, statistically, if you're going to look at, you know, like to do some like saber metrics, um, kicking a field goal is probably the way to go, but that's Dan Mullen. He's cocky. He's arrogant and he's going to roll the dice and he trusted his, he trusted his offense and then he trusted his defense. And, and, and I think it worked out. He, at least he wasn't, you know, scared we're talking about you know him getting complacent or you know sitting on sitting on a lead um he wasn't scared to put it into his offense's hands and go for it on fourth down now listen and maybe i'm calling him an idiot if georgia figures out a way to win that game because because they didn't kick the field goal but i didn't have a problem with the with the decision there grandma yeah you've just been there covering you know there was five minutes left in that game and all I'm thinking is, oh, that's how much Tennessee was up by when Felipe hit the the mm-hmm. heave or whatever it was. Or no, it was the that's how much Tennessee was up by with five minutes left when Antonio Callaway hit yeah. down the sidelines and BP threw that great block. Everyone, you know, so that game still with five minutes left. Say Dwan Mathis goes out there and hits two touchdowns with Florida just up thirteen. It was still technically in the cards, but you know, kick the field goal, man, kick the field goal. Social media. The was, uh, looks like you throwing a football. I don't think they were. I don't think they were bad. worried. I he don't think they were bad. worried about him hitting a couple passes. He didn't look anywhere near that bad. They had their chances. They could hit him before that. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think they were too much worried. Hey, we we've seen y'all overthrow wide receivers all game long. So we'll, we'll, we'll take our chances there. But Nikki, to your point, man, the uh, social media. I think uh, I mean, it, was, it was a pretty nice split on what should have been done uh, in that situation. I, I, I thought from what from everything I could see uh, there. So uh, speaking of social media. Let's get to some tweets here, and then we'll wrap up the what episode. What a professional, Dave. What a professional. That's yeah. segue. Oh, yeah, you saw that segue. That's what the, that's what the, that, was, that, was, that was the Kadarius Tony transition there. Got to get an ad break in there. Got to get a sponsorship <laughs> for the segue next time. <laughs> Uh, here we go. SEC Power Scott Sweat says, and this one, uh, this one hits home for me guys a bit too. Great win. We'll elevate the program. He uh, lives in Blackshear, Georgia, where I grew up, the hometown of Stetson Bennett. So he goes, I don't have to worry about hearing Stetson Bennett beat us either, so it's even better. So uh, I can go show my face now in Blackshear. I don't have to, I don't have to shy away from Blackshear, Georgia uh, any, anytime soon now. So uh, Truth uh, at Mr. Ambition 2 says, appears to be a complete team now. I'll cut the secondary a little slack since they hadn't played together in three weeks. Still had three interceptions. Offense is deadly with utilization of the backs in the passing game. And, guys, you were on a lot of those Zoom calls before the season with me, and I think I asked Brian Johnson. I think I asked Dan Mullen. I asked him both multiple times, how do you replace LaMichael P. Ryan and the production out of the backfield with him, not only running the ball, but last year, Florida couldn't hardly could hardly run the ball. 
and they made you know Michael Piran a very versatile threat at that backfield catching the ball. We saw flashes of it throughout this whole season, but against Georgia, the biggest game of the season, and the running backs were catching passes all over the field. Yeah, that's true, and that was Michael's role. You really didn't even see you know other guys get those opportunities because. Uh, I think part of it was he was also uh, better as in, in pass pro, so that means he's going to be on the field in third down and getting more of those opportunities. But, yeah, we went from wondering who's going to do it to being like, oh, they've got three guys that can do it. <laughs> and, and to what Graham said earlier, you've got a five-star who's got the cleanest jersey on the team every week because he can't get on the field because you've got, you know, uh, these these three running backs that that are just, you know, aren't, are keeping Lorenzo Wingard off the field. Graham, going to the first point there, he goes, I'll cut the secondary a little slack since they hadn't played together in three, three weeks. I guess that's kind of overlooked as, uh, as well if you want to look at it. You know, the Florida and the COVID hit and missing a whole bunch of secondary players, and there's a lot of those guys missed last week as well. And you're inserting new pieces this week with Marco Wilson, Diamond Steiner being back out there playing a whole lot of football as well. Uh, Marco Wilson, an up-and-down uh, kind of day. Nothing terrible, but the up-and-down uh, throughout the day. But, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, it was – you know, Sean Davis was back, too, and he was in on a lot of those overthrows from the Georgia quarterbacks there. So, you know, I don't think you can necessarily pinpoint one guy who struggled there in the secondary, but a good point there that it had been a while since all these guys have, have, have played together. Yeah, that's absolutely a fair point. I also think it's another testament to what we've been saying about Florida's depth. They didn't need to rush a guy like Marco Wilson back, who, who already kind of has transitioned from corner to be playing this star nickel role. They didn't need to rush him back after whatever it was keeping him off the field. You you look at Brad Stewart against Missouri, more than capable of playing the star position, and he continued that against Georgia, even though I guess uh, it wasn't against a quarterback who was really threatening to go out there and throw for 400 yards against them. Just being able to have those guys back, ease them back in there, still get them involved. You know, I I thought that Marco, he did have that pass breakup, uh, so give him some credit there. You know, that, that certainly has been something knocked against him. Um, in the past, but this is a team that that really wasn't too worried, I think, about not having those guys out there, especially after that performance against Missouri. And obviously, if Rashad Torrance or, uh, you know, Brad Stewart goes out there and lays an egg and really has a bad performance, but you have to remember, they're coming off a Texas A&M performance where some of those guys were already being chastised for their prior performances. You know, the best thing that you could have done was ease them back in there, and I think it'll only help the entire team moving forward uh, against, I hate to even say it, against a quarterback in Felipe Franks, who, in my opinion, is a threat to absolutely beat you. You look at some of those plays against that Tennessee game. I mean, he was throwing 60-yard bombs like like he was in the IPF again. And if that happens against Marco Wilson or Sean Davis, you know, Florida fans are going to be calling for those guys to be pulled right away again. So I, I – I, I had no problem with their performances, but it was a very good thing that they didn't necessarily need all those guys at full strength on Saturday. I keep it going here. Anthony uh, Gallo says, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, all we asked for was our defense to be average, and they've done that since they lost to A&M. We knew our offense could score on anyone. All we need to do is just keep on improving. Good point there. You know, just wanted the defense to be better than they were the first three games. They've done that. You've kind of seen the results uh, there the last couple of weeks. Uh, Mike Schmall says, very impressed with the Gator offense. Playmakers like Gamble, Zip, Wright really stepped up behind starters. Offensive lines improving as season goes along, really starting to gel. Uh, and very thankful the UGA quarterbacks are crap. So uh, very, very straight to the point there. Uh, <laughs> Little Daryl 19 says, Trash Heisman moment. I will stay, say, though, 
all of this foot off the pedal stuff from the O and the D is killing me. We're catching fish, throw them back in the water. We need to gut and cook them from now on. Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it there, guys. That's a country boy. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, Gaines Finder says, impressive response to early adversity. We hit on that, guys. Offensive avalanche, historic first half. Concerning injuries, uh, what happened with the second half, imposing our will to, to break uh, the losing streak. As I said, you know, got down twice in, in the game in, in the first half, so I, I do agree with imposing the will there. Uh, and I guess we haven't really brought it up. We we, we talked about Kyle Pitts, of course, and, and his injury and getting out there. Uh, I guess we should be concerned until like concussion protocol is you know it's not a it's not a fast result at, at times when you're looking at that. We'll see how he has to progress throughout the next couple of days. There it was a nasty hit, really hard hit uh, there to, to one of the best players in the country. Of course, we want, want him out there on the field and very very highly rated draft prospect uh, for for himself as well. So. Um, very, um, you know, you hate to see that anyway, but for a guy who has the world in front of him right now and then to take a hit like that, it's uh, we, we, we would definitely be keeping our eyes open the next couple of days to see the and catch the progress of uh, Kyle Pitts. Yeah, and obviously it depends on, you know, it's a concussion can affect, first off, there can be many different levels of a concussion and can affect, you know, somebody differently. Kyle Pitts can be back on the practice field tomorrow. Um, or, or Tuesday. Um, it's just something that, you know, we, we have to monitor. Um, but when you see a guy leave the field, I kept getting questions. Like, is Kyle Pitts coming back? I'm like, he left the field without his helmet. Like, no, he's not coming back today. Like, you're going to figure out a way to beat Georgia without Kyle Pitts right now. Um, but certainly, that's a player – I mean, I, we were talking about it you know, <laughs> extensively uh, – a player that – Florida needs on the field, um, whether he's getting the ball or not getting the ball, um, a guy you need on the field. All right, yeah, and, they, and they were preparing. Yeah. They were preparing for that as well. You know, any sign that they weren't expecting Cal Pitts back or were thinking that they possibly could be without him next week. Look at what they did with the two tight ends in the second half. I mean, Kamari Gamble and Keon Zipper combined to go four for four for ninety yards and a touchdown. I mean, you're showing right away that you're not missing a beat. I mean, that is some HBC-type tactics showing that you don't need your star tight end to go out there and show that you're a team that can dominate with a tight end out there. I mean, those are two guys, like I said, former four-star guys. Keon Zipper was the number one rated halfback in that class coming out of Lakeland. I mean, they just showed that they were more incapable. And if Florida, like you said, Nick, uh, is going to be without pits against a defense that's much worse than what you saw on Saturday, I think that they just showed that they're going to be quite, quite all right. All right, then Ralph Siegelman says, I'm just astonished, really. Georgia's defense is legit, but we did exactly what we did exactly to them what Alabama did. That in and of itself ought to give us some hope that we could compete with college football's elite again. Guy talking basically about college football's elite. You've got to have an elite offense. <laughs> and yesterday just proved it again. We saw what Alabama did to Georgia. Saw what Florida did to, to, to Georgia. We wondered about, you know, did, did Florida have that firepower? Would they have the same style of Alabama? It wasn't the same style of Alabama. You know, Florida, I think uh, Florida found something they were able to take advantage of. There's real routes that we discussed. It still wasn't a whole lot of deep passes, you know, of wide receivers beating Georgia's defensive backs over and over again, kind of like Alabama did. It was, we wondered if a different style of explosiveness could get it done. Hey, it did. Well, maybe, you know, the 
maybe I think Dan even said after the game, maybe it's not the team that runs for the most. Maybe it's just the team that has the most effective running backs wins the game. <laughs> like you said earlier, uh, Florida didn't outrush Georgia. If you take away the 75 yard rush, it gets a little bit closer, but the running backs were certainly more productive when you, when you talk about, you know, Naquan Wright almost having, or Damian Pierce almost having hundred all purpose and the running backs combining for 200 receiving yards. Um, you know, that's, Florida's running backs, you know, had more receiving yards than Georgia had total receiving yards from their entire team. Um, so, yeah, great game plan for Dan. And, and I think going back to the Pitts thing real quick, it's just showing that, like, hey, that the tight end is still just an important part of Dan Mullen's offense. And just because we lost our best player doesn't mean we're going to abandon the offense completely. And, and, and like Graham said, they've got some guys. Keon Zipper is one of the best tight ends in his recruiting class. Um, Kamari Gamble with his first touchdown uh, of his career. You've got some guys there. I think Kyle Pitts will be back. Um, but, yeah, it, it was just a, a really masterful kind of performance offensively from from Dan and, and Brian Johnson and those guys. Absolutely there. So one uh, couple last tweets here to get the last thought in here, guys. Sam Atkinson says was, def- was deflated three minutes in, down 14 nothing. Thought we thought here we go again. Big game build up only to be let down, but loved how Florida didn't panic and chipped away. Defense stepped up. It felt like the urban days for once. We are heading in the right direction. Great win. Uh, OG original Gator says great win over our biggest rival. Still haven't played a complete game yet. The goal is to peak come championship time though. Our best football is still ahead of us. And that's exciting. Do you agree with those kind of that general thought there guys that of course it does look like Florida's headed in the right direction, but do you feel like there's still a, a another step for this Gator team? And look, I think we if we look at this, we've discussed it maybe to some some of the second half issues. But if you want to say Florida's going to – if Florida has another step, it pretty much hinges on that defense just pretty much taking another step. You get the defense to take another step. Then the team, kind of like LSU, you start kind of just piecing that defense game after game after game last year. You get to championship time. You get around the SEC championship game. You get around college football playoff time, and the defense is right where it needs to be by the time by the time they really need it. This is a team that I, I still think is just kind of I, I hate to sound negative in a sense, but they they are going to be their own worst enemy. Every game here remaining on the schedule is absolutely winnable. You look at Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU. I I think all those teams are worse than we thought that they would be before the season. Yeah, You look at what Arkansas is doing. Yeah, you know, give Sam Pittman and, and Felipe Franks a whole lot of credit. But I, I think that, yeah, like you said, the defense is not as good as many others in the SEC. And if Florida can do what they've done to some of these other teams and just emulate that against Arkansas, they should have no problem whatsoever. The only thing will be a slip-up, failure to adjust, uh, mistakes like – Kyle Trask's pick six or blown coverages, which we've seen before, it would absolutely have to take Florida shooting themselves in the foot necessarily for anything but running the table. In part, I hate to be negative again, part of that is also the, the COVID environment. No bye weeks for eight weeks if you, if you want to make the SEC championship. LSU in December, if you can get all the way there and you haven't lost any games, absolutely extremely winnable. There are no excuses. So if anything, if Florida takes a step back defensively, which we've seen, not only just in those first three minutes of action Saturday, but in other spurts, these first four games of the season, if they take any steps back, 
then yeah, it's going to be extremely disappointing seeing what they just did and how they handled uh, a team that had signed all the blue chip prospects in the world on defense and Florida still had a guy out there with no recruiting offers go out there and for, throw for 474 yards against them. If they lose any other games, knowing what we've seen so far, it is just going to feel extremely disappointing. Have we seen the best yet, Nick? Um, I know, I know, I know no, that's the projection. You win the SEC championship, that's the best. Yeah. yeah. I said no, because if you beat Alabama and Atlanta, then that's yeah. much better. Um, yeah, I, it's like Graham said, you know, we, we can nitpick and stuff like that, but you will face, and it's like I said earlier, I'm like, come on, if you're facing Alabama, and that, I guess that's what we're really talking about. And, and I think I read a story in the AJC that said um, this is the changing of the guard and the SEC mm-hmm. is Florida taking over. Um, to me, it's okay. If, well, if that's true, then now you're not comparing yourself. You, you always compare yourself to Georgia, I guess, but now you're comparing yourself to Alabama. You're going to compare yourself to um, Clemson and, mm-hmm. and compare yourselves to the teams that are going to the college football playoff. When I look at it and I say, well, you know, Trevor Lawrence makes those throws. If you're playing Clemson, Trevor Lawrence makes those throws um, that Dewan Mathis and Stetson Ben couldn't. And okay, well, how how differently does Alabama attack you, and can that Alabama offense attack you with their weapons? And it's like you said, if we're talking about Florida taking the next step, I think the defense needs to continue to get better. Um, I, I trust Florida's offense to to score with anybody. Mm-hmm. So to me, is the best yet to come. I think Florida's offense is probably you know just going to run at this high level the rest of the way. Um, if, if the best is yet to come, then we need to see the defense continue to turn that corner and take steps. Absolutely. Absolutely agree there. Uh, don't have the scores up, but yeah, quick. I mean, there weren't many SEC games yesterday. We, we've discussed this plenty of times. Arkansas beats Tennessee. Sets up a big game for Florida uh, coming up in the swamp this week as Felipe Franks returns under the lights in Gainesville. So Florida, Arkansas next week with Arkansas coming off of a big win versus Tennessee. And then also Texas A&M, Florida's only loss just keeps improving uh, as that season goes along where it destroys South Carolina. The game's not even close. And, I don't know if South Carolina can afford a Will Muschamp buyout right now. Maybe some big donor comes in, but, you know, I think COVID puts a wrench into that. But, man, things in Columbia are – they are they are dire. They, that, it, it is looking bad there for, for the Gamecocks and one Will Muschamp. Uh, you did kick that field goal down 41 nothing with, uh, with, <laughs> with two minutes left. So, not shut out. Good job, Will. Make sure you never get shut out, buddy. Oh man, guys! Hey, this is a good yeah, one. Go ahead, I, is Auburn still playing? Is is Auburn still paying Will Muschamp? I was thinking about that the other day. Probably and, not. No, since he's got a head coaching Auburn's job. Not paying anymore. No. Have you guys seen someone whose stock has seemingly had so many rebounds and he's got a thirteen million dollar so buyout? Yeah, he's got a thirteen million dollar buyout. Is somebody really going to buy that out in the COVID world right now? No. I think Bo Pelini is more likely to be fired. If I had to pick someone who had to be fired, who was making more than a million dollars this season, it's Bo Pelini. Why was he hired? <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I, they're trying to re- rekindle some old feelings there in LSU. Could have paid any one of us half that money, and we would have probably done a similar job. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can call some bad plays in Baton Rouge for a million dollars. <laughs> I can let Mike Lee score sixty plus on me in his debut yeah, with the program. I can do that. Yeah, that ain't no problem. 
Oh, guys, this is uh, this was fun. It's uh, Gators getting better, of course. You know, two big wins uh, now uh, after after uh, a few weeks off or yeah, a couple weeks off with COVID. Gators getting better, coming off the big win versus Georgia, of course, forty four twenty eight. Fans have been waiting for that one. Fans have been waiting that one. Shout out to all my friends in Georgia, Kevin Harris, um, Kevin, Dave. I know you guys up in Georgia have to handle the, the Bulldog fans for years, three years in a row now. No more, no more. You get to uh, you get to flag those. How to fly, fly those flags high and and just uh, give them a Steve Spurrier smirk and uh, they don't know exactly what, what what that's about. So, guys, any final thoughts here before we wrap it up? Um, just I'm excited to see to see this play out. I remember talking to you guys and talking just before the you know when they changed the schedule to ten SEC games. I was like selfishly, I want to go to College Station because I've never been, and I want Felipe Franks back in the swamp. Because that's a great storyline. The SEC was like, you know what, Nick? You should get into TV because that makes a <laughs> lot of advertising sense. And we will do both of those things. So I uh, got one already. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Felipe. I think it's going to be uh, an emotional night for him and for a lot of guys. I mean, I asked Trey Trey Grimes after the game. And he's like, that's, that's my boy. <laughs> that's my dog. And I think Felipe was. So for as unpopular as he was with the fan base at times, he was very popular with his teammates. And, and I think it's going to be um, a, a fun night for those guys going up and, and competing against him. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just echo that as well. You know, Trey Grimes, you know, Nick, when you asked him, he said he still talks to him, what, four or five times a week. And they're seeing what he's doing out there and they've been rooting for yeah. him every step of the way that they just won't be doing it as much on Saturday. That's a guy that, like I said earlier, has, you have to love his story, especially if you love quarterback stories. So many people counted him out. He was drafted by an MLB team. People were telling him that he would never make it back again. Then the pandemic took away his chance of, of really winning that starting quarterback job, but he never gave up. And, you know, give credit to Sam Pittman because that thing does not work without him as well. I think that I was one of the people expecting that it would take a little bit longer and we're realizing how possibly bad of a head coach Chad Morris really is because Sam Pittman just walked in that door and said, all right, time to start being competitive like that. And it wouldn't work obviously without Felipe Franks either. So I'm loving what he's doing. If he can go out there and throw for 300 yards against Florida's defense and we get this 42, 35 shootout game. I mean, there's going to be a lot of Florida fans who are going to be really conflicted about that because how can you not be happy for Felipe Franks after seeing everything he's gone through? Yeah, so the whole time when the game was announced, I wanted to play well every game except for one. So we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see what happens Saturday. And guys, I'll get into it later this week. But who would have thought when the season started after the Georgia game, Arkansas would probably be the toughest game remaining on the schedule. So that's a, a storyline that we can hit uh, uh, in our own little avenues the rest of the week. But in, interesting aspect uh, as we put the bow on a, on a Florida Georgia uh, review show here. So Nick DeLatore from Gator Country, Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun, joining us right here on Gators Breakdown. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.